So I want to talk about you. What is your name and, and where are you from? What was growing up like? My name is Deverick, Devrock Murray. I'm a hip hop artist. I'm raised and born in Baltimore City. I identify first as a husband, a father, uh, a teacher. Um, I have seven children. Life for me growing up was, you know, um, sports, music, um, trying to be cool, trying to stay safe, trying to stay out of trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a lot of emphasis put on, you know, getting money when I was growing up. So business was always something I wanted to be involved with. Did you have uh, family members that were business owners or entrepreneurs? Mm, you know, um, I, I had one cousin who was a, a show enough serious um, business owner, but I, I never knew what his business was or whatever. But, um, you know, I know he was always free. He was always able to move around always had money for his family, his kids, kids always sent his kids to the best school. But um, it wasn't until I got older, until I was having my first child that I recognized that my uncle had his own business. Um, but before then, most of the people that was around didn't really have their own businesses and the businesses that, that people did have weren't attractive to me. Like Mr. George, one of my best childhood friends, grandfather, he was like a handyman. You know what I'm saying? And he made it work, you know, but I didn't realize until he was older that he didn't work for anybody. In short, the answer is no. And I really didn't understand who had a business or, you know, those types of things. I learned about that, realizing at a young age that I wasn't a good employee. So you mentioned growing up that getting money and just really being successful was something that was really important. Was that something that was instilled in you from listening to hip hop music or it was it just more of a neighborhood or cultural type thing because hip hop is really steeped in this idea of just getting it by any means necessary and whether actually that's it just getting it by any means necessary so that also leads into my question of how did hip hop culture impact you growing up yeah i mean um see like growing up in my household my, I, I grew up in my grandmother's house. Me and my father um, shared a room and it was almost like every room was a family. So all of my grandmother's kids um, stayed in the house. My uncle and his kids and his wife had the basement. Me and my father had a room. My aunt had a room. You know what I'm saying? And then my little cousin, which was my other uncle's daughter, had a room. And that uncle was uh, like in and out of uh, prison. I probably was between like eight and 12 one time when my house had got raided. I tell that story because getting money was something that I could understand was prevalent idea in my family between my uncles and my cousins. They were serious about getting money, right? And I started to piece together through hip hop, like what was happening. You know what I mean? So I didn't understand at the times what was happening in, in my neighborhood. I saw some of the different things that they were doing and some of the ways that they were moving, but I never made it synonymous or, or really understood that maybe my uncle and them were doing the same thing that was going on in my neighborhood or maybe that that's what my cousins and them were doing. So I never really understood any of those things until I listened to songs, until I 
was able to piece together things that I saw happen in my everyday life being told on wax. You know, I got really serious in hip hop. I can't remember what year it was, but listening to the Black Album, going to high school every day, listening to the Carter Two. You know, um, this is when Walkmans first came out and you had CD player and you had play that CD and you would walk and you had to hold it like this because if you try to put it in your pocket, that joint was going to skip. But you didn't <laughs> want to hold it like this because you mess around and get robbed with that joint. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, um, couple of albums that really, well, first and foremost, my father played all types of great music and my father loved music. He always played Queen Latifah. He's always played MC Light. He used to always play Sade. He used to always play Run DMC. But my uncle, when my uncle Robert used to watch me, um, he really sat and sat me by the speaker and really played every hip hop song, you know? And he told me this later on in life after he heard my first mixtape he said man i'm telling you this where you got that from this is what you sound like this is what we used to do and, and i never even knew that so that was how young i was you know what i mean my father worked around the clock um and my my father is the oldest of the children so my uncles and my aunts babysitted me a lot and they all just was explaining to me you know the different stories so that's really the beginning of my stage of understanding hip-hop understanding how it related to my eagerness to want to get money. And all of the men in my household had very, very strong work ethics. I'm not sure necessarily what they did with their money or how much money they made, but I know that they spent a lot of time at work and that that was like, you couldn't front on nobody in my house about if they was lazy or not. They were going to some type <laughs> of work, you know what I mean? So yeah. That's kind of where that idea came from. And, and I put piece that together through hip hop with people talking about grinding and people talking about all those different things. I started to understand that those thoughts were synonymous. And then I started to understand that some of the misfortune and some of the things that would happen with my family members getting in trouble or my house being raided had something to do also with some of the things that was going on in hip hop as well. Can you list some of the albums that you can remember uh, hearing when you were that kid that really gave you that seminal connection and um, that, I guess, that that sense of camaraderie between the hip-hop and speakers and, and what was going on, on in your own life? So, now, I can't remember albums, but I remember songs. So, I remember um, sitting on Chrome. Mm -hmm. I think that's Master Ace. That's yeah, Master yeah. Ace. I think so. I can remember these two twin brothers that was on Rockefeller uh, said he's got a gun and he's looking for someone. Don't make me pull it. I don't really want to hurt you, man. This is something you don't understand. Lay on down. Don't make me pull this trigger. I can remember that album uh, or listening and playing that. Um, then my own hip hop, like I said, um, the black album, Carter II, um, every Kanye West album up until after graduation, those were like the, the crystallized albums that was like, oh, wait a minute. These are the ones that I really played every song I listened to every day. And I started really to have my true, you know, love for hip hop. Now, singles and stuff was mixed in, but 
Um, Ludacris was my favorite rapper mm-hmm. for a long time until I made a mistake and listened to a whole Jay-Z album. And then it was Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, Kanye, uh, until I got a little bit older and started to diversify, you know, what I listened to. Okay. When you were in school, did they have a music program? Uh, was hip hop something that was um, tolerated or or was it something that the schools just kind of seemed like a nuisance in it and the hip hop culture was what's wrong with the kids? Well, it was never um, like an explicit that hip hop culture is wrong with the kids. Middle school, I don't remember any type of music scenario period in elementary school this was the time of choirs so you still would go in school and it would be a choir and you would have to take that class so I remember being in the choir but I actually like choir in high school um and which in most high schools is like this and in some middle schools too the older I got the more you started to see the personality of one or two teachers could really dictate and change the culture of what your experience could be like at school yeah and elementary and middle school it was just all one way everybody was the same way all my teachers was over like 50 you get what I'm saying yeah. everybody was like do what we said or we on you and they was unified when I got to high school it was like Mr. Atlog he a bodybuilder and a DJ and an artist and Mr. Boone he is a you know computer geek so whoever class you was in and whoever you gravitated towards you could spend your whole high school career doing that. Two teachers in particular that I got linked up with was one was Miss Veltry. Her name is Miss Lutant now. She's still going strong at Digital Harbor High School. I used to hook class in her room. And the only way she would let you hook in her room, it, it was hooking, but it wasn't hooking. If you got caught in the hall without a pass, you get in trouble. But you would get put out of a teacher class with work. Mm-hmm. So a teacher would be like, go do your work elsewhere. You don't belong in here for no more today. Me and you have had it. We up to here. <laughs> you yeah. don't got to go to the office, but if you get caught in the hallways on you. Yeah. You had to have some currency with a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Ms. Veltri, can I come sitting in your um, chem lab and do my... She would be like, you know, let me in there two or three times. Then once I start getting kicked out on purpose to come chill with her, she like... You might as well just take my class. <laughs> so she made me take a debate class with her. And that was good because then I became a debater almost for the rest of my life. I was able to go to college, go to Towson, get scholarship for debate. You know what I'm saying? But then like Mr. Atlog, Mr. Atlog was cool. I never had his class because I was an upperclassman by the time he came. But he brought the DJ in. He brought the studio. Um, one of the young brothers who, you know, wound up was up under me maybe one or two years. I did a skit for his album that he was recording in Mr. Atlaw's class. So like, I'm arguing with some girl or whatever about we having some sort of domestic argument. And that was a skit for his album or mixtape. I didn't even, I didn't understand that. He was far ahead of me in the hip hop world at that point, even him being an underclassman, man, but he was with Mr. Atlaw every day. Mm. And then Mr. Atlaw was like, we're gonna start DJing the basketball games. Oh. And um, I think I got everybody in trouble because what happened was I was good at DJing too. Like I was learning it and I was just starting to hang with him. And um, (laughs) this was when Webby and Boosie first came out. And if you're familiar with Lil Webby, 
you know, he had the song, Girl, Give Me That. And um, I hung with, I ain't gonna say they was like, I hung with like the tough group of kids, the tough group of young men who was also very interested in getting money. So <laughs> I played Girl, Give Me That. I had the edited version though. So I was tearing the gym up. Like we had 800 kids in the gym and I'm tearing it up. I'm played something else, played some Boosie, then went right into Webby. Girl, give me that. But my homeboy asked for the microphone. Oh God. And I gave it to him and I should have known better than that because he <laughs> sung all the words. <laughs> I never got the DJ again. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> He sung all the words, man. Like, that's actually crazy. And, you know, shout out to you, man, because this is a great interview. Normally when I do interviews for MRI, I never talk about myself and I never talk necessarily about, you know, the line of thinking. So you bringing a lot of these stories back as I, Thank you. you know, preparing for this. In high school, those were those moments, you know, but I really started my career in hip hop and making music in college when a friend of mine showed me Archie the Messenger and Lyrical the Lyricist, you know, they Baltimore legends to me on the poetry scene in the hip hop world. And Archie the Messenger, um, you know, set a line. And I haven't told this story so long, um, but the way he was rapping and everything that he was saying, I remember saying he never needed a chain. My skin cost cash. You know what I mean? And I was learning all of this stuff about black people in the slave trade and all of the different things that he was saying. I was like, I never heard nobody rap about like education. I never heard nobody rap educationally and it was hard. I had only been listening to stuff that felt good or stuff that was about getting money. Right. So that's when I said, I want rap. Now I want to rap because I fashion myself be smart. I didn't, I fashion myself to be smart enough to get money, but not fashion myself to be street enough to be a rapper. If you understood what I meant, what I mean by that. When I started hearing him, Archie the Messenger in particular, not rap about being smart, but just being smart in his raps. I was like, yo, I can do this now. And that's when I started my hip hop career, my poetry career. Mm, okay. So you went to Digital Harbor High School. You graduated. What year did you graduate? 2006. Okay. Oh, okay. So you only, you're like a year, I think, or two older than me. I graduated in 2007, but I grew up in the county. Um, so I was, I'm familiar with like a lot of the music that you're talking about. Where did you go to college and how did you start building your own music career? I went to Towson University. More, I did like six and a half years at Towson because I graduated in 2013 from Towson. Um, I went on to study after that at Morgan um, to get my postgraduate degree. Um, but I started in about 2000 and I think I heard that Archie record in like 08 mm. and I started doing poetry from then on and what happened was that there was this revolution within debate if you know anything about debate or if you watch it on tvs or stuff like that it's a little kid with a suit and a tie stand up and he talks mm -hmm. about politics real straightforward maybe even talks really fast it's kind of boring to regular people, but mm -hmm. there was uh, this school, um, Louisville, University of Louisville in Kentucky, they started being like, 
yo, if you can quote this dude from reporter from CNN and say that he's an author, well, we we gonna quote Audre Lord and we're gonna quote Common and we're gonna quote, you know, all of these authors who are people who say things that are valid to us mm-hmm. when we talking about making politics and policy in the world. And so when they started doing that, then they then instead of just delivering speeches, they started doing poetry and rhyming and singing. And so uh, one of my friends that I debated with in high school had came back from Louisville to go to Towson and linked up with another friend of mine and they brought that movement to Towson. So then I started rapping and doing poetry in debate. That was one thing that Towson was known for, that we was like a part of that revolution in a debate world of making debate more accessible to urban students, because who wants to get up here and talk all of this political jargon and perfunctory language that not really making better policies for people, you know? Um, And so that was where I started my poetry career and then that just led to writing those poems and stuff doing them there then I started traveling all over the city when I got home and I wasn't in school to perform everywhere performing at warm Wednesdays performing at bus boys and poets performing at the anecdote performing at any place where love the poet was hosting any place where rebecca dupas was hosting uh any place where b triple c where they had their events um just morgan state university i mean if it was somewhere that was an open mic better believe you know we figuring it out um even to throw in my own open mic build thursdays and um doing things like that collaborating with many different people so um that was where I started that in 2010, I was still doing the poetry. Then I decided I'm going to do hip hop too. I'm not just going to do poetry with no beat. I'm going to put this thing to a beat. I'm going to put out music, um, try to find a manager, try to move around, do a bunch of different things. And so that's how, you know, I started my hip hop career. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in hip hop, specifically in the Baltimore and DMV area? Yes, um, I've had really honestly one of the greatest times in my hip hop experience, um, falling in love with a poetic version of being a, a lyricist and talking about things that matter, not necessarily talking about my personal self or money or grinding, but talking about issues and things like that. You know, I was one of the first poets I feel like that was talking about important issues mm. you know um things happen like Freddie Gray happened everybody made a Freddie Gray song yeah. but like the people I was with and the music we were making or and the poetry that was being made we were talking about that stuff in 2010 11 and 12 before it was cool to talk about right rebellion and before it was cool to talk about all of the things that started to happen um so i i I felt like um i put a i put a mixtape out called the baltimore renaissance in which i felt like was in a sense not to be disrespectful to the term prophetic Mm -hmm. but i felt like it was prophetic in the sense that two to three years after it was released a whole bunch of artists didn't change what they did and made activism a part of 
it's not just about getting money. It's not just about rapping. It's not just about being a lyricist. Now it's also about what am I talking about? Who am I doing this for? And how am I helping people? So I, I really enjoyed that about my career. And then I got sort of a second win towards the end of that, um, where I started to link up with a bunch of different people. Um, and one of those people and the most important person that I wound up linking up with was Jimmy Thomas. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy, um, you know, met him in Baltimore, you know, him doing curators of hip hop through the brother, Ooh, and Ooh was like, point at Jimmy, Jimmy, you need to get with your dev, you holla at Jimmy. And it's like one of my last interactions with Ooh or whatever like that. And he put us together. Um, you know, I was uh, working with another brother at the time and I was looking for a manager to really move. Cause I was like, I know business. I know all of this stuff I can do, but I know one thing, I can't be the talent and the businessman at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I was approaching Jimmy like, man, you gotta be my manager, you know? And Jimmy was like, that's not what we do. You know, <laughs> we, we, we're curators of hip hop. We're not managers of hip hop artists. Mm. So, you know, I actually wind up calling Jimmy every day for like six months with business ideas, plans. What are we going to, you know, just figuring out how we was going to get some money together, how we was going to work together. Because what he did was, I did something similar to what he did. It made sense for us to work together. And I wound up going on tour with Jimmy about eight different schools in seven months. Um, we went to FSU. Uh, we went to, oh, that's Florida State University, Duquesne in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. We went to Howard. We went to, um, I don't know why it's escaping me now, Syracuse. And during that trip in Syracuse, this is when Flint water situation was happening. So we went to Syracuse. We, we, and Curators of Hip Hop, if you're familiar with them, they created the, um, you know, Curators of Hip Hop Volume 1, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that featured Logic. Yeah. And they actually documented Logic's process leading up to him signing and also D1. Yeah. Um, they talked to Ahmad Rashad, they talked to, you know, a couple of different other people and they documented their processes, but Logic was the biggest name and then D1 after that. And um, so they toured colleges and showed that documentary and did community events and then also went to the community and, and went to the clubs and performed. And so you would go and you had to be able to sit on a panel, talk about your experience as a hip hop artist, talk about what you did, be ready to perform at night. You had to be able to be a Swiss army knife and be in all of those places and then be involved in some sort of activism or community conversation during the day. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, in one of those times of calling Jimmy, he like, he on his way. And then I'm like, yo, well, look, I got a truck. We can take this and I can roll with you, you know? And then that's how the relationship bonded. Cause he saw I was ready to invest in myself as far as music was concerned. And I could often bring something to the table, you know? And um, during the time of us going to Syracuse was when Flint's water situation was happening. So we winded up raising money in Baltimore, working with a whole bunch of different people from all over the country to do hip hop for Flint. And we wind up going to Syracuse 
and then turning from Syracuse, going to Flint, and oh. then coming back to Baltimore. And we took our donation from Baltimore to Flint after we had went past Syracuse. So that was like a really dope moment, you know, as far as a, a hip hop moment, you know, people would tell stories in hip hop that was about when their first record went big or what type of money they made or what they did, you know. Um, and I could talk about those things cause I'm still up from hip hop, you know, I never lost. Like my first mixtape that I did, um, it cost me like $2,000 to do everything, production, recording, everything, put it out. And I didn't put it up on social media. Like streaming wasn't like really hot just yet. I was able to go to every open mic and I would sell my CDs. I'll be like, I need $5, $2, three Twitter, two Twitter <laughs> followers. I take whatever you got, you know, and I made, you know, half of my money back selling CDs just any amount of money people would give me when I go to these open mics, pay $5 to get in and leave with $25, $30 worth of CDs sold, you know, and do that four nights out of the week. And then I had a big, well, it wasn't big. It was small to, for, it was big to me, but it was 20 people mm. came to my release party and I sold tickets. I sold DVDs. I sold plates of food and I was up a thousand dollars from what I put into it. So I could tell those stories, but one of my favorite stories was being able to go to Syracuse, perform, do those types of things, and then parting off and take a donation from a show that we did in Baltimore to Flint. You know what I mean? In a time like what was happening. And, you know, that's like one of my shining hip hop stories. And so that's, that's what hip hop was like for me. I wanted to give that back. You know, and so the whole time that I was a hip hop artist, because of debate, I had been teaching since I was 17. Mm -hmm. As soon as I graduated high school, what happened is, is in the debate world, you graduate, you go to college, but then the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, now you come a become an assistant coach. Oh, uh, okay. So I was teaching debate already. Well, mm -hmm. then naturally we changed how debate was. So we had to teach the kids from Baltimore how to debate like us. Right. Which inherently meant that I started teaching hip hop. I started teaching poetry. I started teaching, um, you know, how to make music, how to make it make sense, how to make music from authors in debate, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. how to read an article from Audre Lorde, I don't know why she's sticking out in my head, I keep bringing her up, but how to read an article from Audre Lorde and the summary to make that, you know, a poem. Hmm. And so that's where I got the idea for my program called I Read I Rhyme. Yeah, yeah, I uh, when I was doing the research for this, um, for this interview that we're having right now, I looked into that and we're definitely gonna talk about that as well. But listening to you tell all of these stories, it just seems that from really from the beginning, once you made the connection, like you had said before, once you made the connection of what you were hearing on records and then looking outside your window or just being in your neighborhood and seeing like the, the um, like the parallels and, and like the, the similarities from there, you really just, as you grew, it's like hip hop grew with you. And then as you became more conscious of the world around you, you know, hip hop honestly has been conscious since really the message. Like if you listen to what Grandmaster Flash is saying, like 
he's not really having the best day living in uh what is it the the bronx in like the 70s or like late 70s early 80s um so I just think it's really remarkable how throughout your entire life, hip hop has been there with you. And then you were able to use hip hop, like you said, to travel to Flint and enact a positive change in the lives of those, uh, of those people, no matter how big or how small it was. And I think that that's, as you say, I think that's a great story to tell and a remarkable story because it just goes to show for every detractor or or person who just thinks hip hop is like something kind of rude and um and 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 just negative negative for the black community you know it has its issues but you can see how positive and really how life and world changing it can be for people and that brings me to my next question about starting the Media Rhythm Institute. You founded that in 2017. So you had already uh, finished college and, and you were teaching debate and stuff like that. And in addition to providing media literacy and looking at life through the lens of hip hop, it also promotes STEM education. Um, is, is, is that right? Was that, is that a good description of the, the Institute? Yes, it is. Um, you know, one of the so you want the story of how we started it or more about what MRI does let's do both let's start with the story oh, okay cool so as I was explaining I had the program I rhyme mm -hmm. and I was saying that Jimmy did the same thing that I did he had a program called Channel Me Media I'm calling him every day. We're talking all the time. I'm doing I rhyme. He's doing Channel Me Media. I was working as a debate coach at Lakeland Elementary Middle School, and I was teaching a debate class for about two or three years. So he was working at Barkley Elementary Middle School and a couple of other different middle schools around the city. He had a base of students who was learning how to be journalist and do electronic media for film from him. And I had the same following and the same group of young people and families that was learning hip hop from me. It wasn't always called I Rhyme. I think I had called it Lakeland Lions or Lakeland Live at some point. Mm -hmm. And then I had worked with some other groups in the city who were doing like something similar, like teaching music and math or different things like that. Not really necessarily doing literacy in music. After we had went on tour, we had kind of calmed down our working relationship because it was like their tour. Um, they was getting ready to do the next step. And I had went on enough. And at a certain time, if they took, they took me to eight colleges, you know what I'm saying? At a certain time, they kept taking me places. Then they would be managing me. It was time for them to get a new back <laughs> artist and you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Jimmy one day puts a post up on Facebook saying he really appreciates everybody who works in schools. Now at Lakeland, the principal over there, I got a shout out Najib Jamal at Lakeland, you know, definitely a good brother, somebody great to work with, somebody who does great work in the community. And one of the best things I think about this brother is that he is a visionary and he's also what I guess Jimmy would call like a producer with same thing that Jimmy does, finds great people and put them together to make the thing that's supposed to happen great. Right. And so what Mr. Jamal did was he said, you know, Dev, listen, I need some more brothers like you to work at my school. This is what I need. Do you know anybody? Jimmy put the post up. I called Jimmy immediately. Dog, listen, 
I seen what your post said. He said, but I don't want to. I said, but no, you need to come <laughs> check this situation over here out. So what wound up happening is I wind up getting Aram over at Lakeland. And this is once I had Aram settled. I knew that this was something that I would be doing from then on with my business. He had Channel Me Media solidified, settled, and he was doing it over at Barclay. And so when he came to Lakeland, we started working together, spending more time together, reminiscing on the other part of what we did together. And then realizing that nobody from our point of view was actually teaching young people hip hop. We realized that young people were the, the drivers of the content. They are the ones that in this day and age, if it's a social media post, if it's a social media song, if it's a song, if it's a streaming thing, they are the people who are making it, making these people rich. But they're not the content creators, mm -hmm. nor do they get economic foundation from the things that they're making go crazy. Right. And we thought that that was a travesty. We thought that they had something to say, they had great ideas, and that somebody should build the AAU, somebody should build the, the Pop Warner mm -hmm. of hip hop. And so we put our rhyme together with Channel Me Media and created the Media Rhythm Institute. I brought him over to my school. So now instead of it just being I rhyme, now it's Channel Media and I rhyme. Then he brought me over to his school. Then we teamed up with Baltimore Dance Legends, Be More Than Dance, and we put dance into the middle of it. Then we made a debate class, right? Then we started working on doing, you know, behavior changing, you know, helping to alter the behavior through hip hop in different schools and things like that. So we were able to bring and make a conglomerate of using hip hop as a lens to help young people get through their day of school and then after school, or, you know, when it's time for an elective like you know adjacent to gym or adjacent to art you can go to iron class or go to channel me media you know so that as an elective you can have an opportunity to begin your ten thousand mastery hours because think about it if think about how when did you start podcasting when did you start doing your show or when did you start honing this craft uh started about five going on six years ago and I've really, I've just been doing it ever since. And think about it. We have kids who are in middle school mm -hmm. who are learning about podcasting. Think about where you would be if you knew that this was something that you loved 15 years ago. Yep. Same for me. I started in college rapping. If I would have known in middle school that I was good at it, I would probably have done different and done more. Yeah, You know what I mean? So, you know, that was just a goal that we wanted, you know, to create the content makers of tomorrow today. Can you talk about some of the challenges of getting MRI off the ground? Because it seems like it, instead of it just being something that you started one day, like you were doing your thing, Jimmy was doing his thing, y'all kept on kind of crossing paths. And then eventually you both realized like, oh, if we bring this together, like we can make each of our parts stronger and then put out this product that that's stronger than that as well. But did you ever get pushback from the school or, or parents or, or what was the process like trying to get donors involved? Cause I see you have a lot of partnerships with, with organizations around the city. So talk about that journey. 
you know, I'll talk a little bit about the challenges, but let me give it some context. So um, our vision is like, as an educational incubator, um, we expect to develop the next generation of media and entertainment industry professionals through STEM-based workforce training, um, academic achievement, and industry opportunities. And the world that we want to see at the end of MRI is a socially and emotionally healthy youth that leverages their talents and skills to set an economic foundation for self-sustainability and community empowerment. Um, one of the things that I've learned in all of the work that I've done and all of the different um, places that I've been in is that if you focus on what you agree on with someone, it makes the path of resistance lighter than if you focus on what you disagree about. Now, I want to just be very open in saying that to be completely honest with you, Jimmy and I, and the whole entire MRI staff, Tiff, Kanisha, Ms. K, Mr. BJ, Theo, Titus, Neek, who was involved, Mello, Trent, um, I could go on and on and on and name so many other people who played a part of what we've, what we've done in the past and what we're doing now we were all blessed to be able to do what we love as a means of providing for our families and giving to young people what we wish we had. It's hard for me to name a challenge. I don't have any negative feelings about how anything has, has happened. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will talk about is some of the things that happened, but I felt like we dealt with them very well because we understood what we were up against. So what, what normally happened is, is that there would be a teacher or uh, somebody higher up in the school that want us at the school. Then mm-hmm. that person would convince the principal or the principal would want us at the school or the owner of the rack would want us there and then they have to, so somebody wants us and then somebody has to talk to either the people who we want to deal with on a day-to-day basis to create the relationship between us and them mm-hmm. or the person who we would deal with on a day-to-day basis wants us and has to create the relationship with the person that's over the entire operation. Right. Now, what normally happened is, is that those two people would meet us, get to know us, who we are beyond the work as fathers, as husbands, as dedicated men in the community and they would understand the work. But then there would be people who were not involved in the day-to-day work and then people who were not in the upper management. So we never met with them. We never talked to them. And all they know is, is that these guys are coming in here to play music or they're going to have cameras and they're going to want to pull kids out of class or they're going to take kids out of the building. And that seems like it's unhealth, like safe or whatever the case may be. And, oh, they using hip hop and what, in their mind, hip hop means something else. And so it would often be hard or it could have been hard to work around those people, but we view MRI not as a money grant, but as a relationship business. Mm -hmm. So if we had to come and work next door to your classroom 
or we had to do our work in your classroom, we showing up five minutes early or we staying five minutes late to talk to you to make sure that we understand that we on the same page as a parent or as an educator or whatever it is that we figure out that you agree with what we agree with, we built a bond there. So we were able to smooth out some of those things that you would have a problem with, with other programs, you know, because people don't build relationships, you know, um, another challenge that we may have maybe come across is, is that there are a lot of formal things that you need to do as a business in order to be able to get in front of kids. And sometimes as organizations who don't have privy or who are not privy to information, you can have the relationships, you can get into the school and do something as simple as not get your background check done and that can disqualify you, you know? So we were fortunate enough though that at every turn when it was time to do those things that we had a relationship with somebody who didn't let us get into the trouble of not crossing all I's and dotting all T's, you know? Um, and so I can't really say, you know, and that's why I don't, I don't hope that this is not taken as a bragging, but I would advise anybody to develop thorough relationships because money will go, resources will go, opportunities will come and go, but relationships, people, you know, don't really disappear like that. Not that much, you know? People may leave a job, but then they work somewhere else and they might refer you in that field of life. So the more relationships that you have, the better you are able to move, the easier you are to gain access to information that helps you do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, that's what's important. I think the only struggle that I would point out that really I think is a problem across the board for all minority owned organizations and what I mean by minority I mean like if you do something highly specialized that's not something that everybody does like a lot of people provide physical fitness so Mm -hmm. that makes sense it's a blueprint it's a guideline for everything you got to do it's easy to plug in if you're a professional you can get that done yeah like a, a business that has like a smaller market share like there's like oh we're a cleaning business and then like oh we only clean this special type of metal like that's what we do exactly yeah yeah it is hard for those businesses to do things like have the proper fiscal sponsors to be available to get certain money Mm -hmm. or get certain certifications to receive a certain amount of money from different entities You know what I'm saying? So that is what, you know, I would say is the only real, the only challenge that I feel like is really worthy of mentioning for other people to learn from and for them to try to create their own way, not around it, because you can't get around it, their own way through that process you know figure out your fiscal sponsorship figure out how you align yourself business-wise with certifications and find that out early while you do your work so we talked about the beginning of mri the the programming the channel me uh, which is media literacy uh, i rhyme i also know that there's like i dance um another class i wanted to talk about is expressa and that is a Latino or, 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 or brown facing um, 
I rhyme variant um, and black people and brown people, our fates are often intertwined when it comes to just trying to survive in the United States. How did this course get created? Did you notice that a lot of more brown kids were coming to the class or people were coming to you saying, hey, this is great. Can you do something for a different demographic? Lakeland, straight up and down, is 15% uh, Spanish-speaking population. Mm -hmm. 50, if I said 15, I meant 50%. Right. So, um, you know, one of the first things that we did at Lakeland when Jimmy came was uh, in, the, in the Lakeland community, it was a lot of confusion between Latinx brothers and sisters and black folks black people were being are being were being taught that latinx people were taking their jobs and were moving in their neighborhood and pushing them out mm -hmm. that created a hostility it's hard for them to talk to each other and then also black people are in such high poverty in the neighborhood that when they learn something like they don't have bank accounts they cash their checks and they have cash on them. So things would happen, mm -hmm. you know, that would really make for bad blood between those two parties. But they happening on a case-by-case -case basis. Parents talk to each other. Communities talk to each other. So these few yeah. people are saying they taking all the jobs. These few people are saying we aren't safe coming home from back and forth from work because da da da, -da and not really understanding that Poverty creates the opportunity for both of these things to seem true. Right. So imagine going to school every day and seeing these people when you hear what your parents are saying because of what they're going through or what their friends went through. So we immediately had to do like a town hall. Jimmy and I organized to bring in, along with other people too, but we were like decent players in the helping with Mr. Jamal to bring in people to talk about that intertwinedness that you spoke of in the beginning and mm -hmm. to help try to help them understand that they in the same boat. And hey, man, if you can't tell your friends not to mess with them, man, you understand what I'm saying? Hey, understand they not doing the same type of jobs that you even want to do. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, y'all in this together and y'all live here. Like, think about it. This got to be... Because it almost wasn't safe. The school was about to not be safe because the young men and women who were the leaders on this side were starting to get ready to have a problem with the young men and women who were the leaders on this side. That's something normally you would think you would have to worry about at a high school. But because of the terrain of the community, that eighth grade was old enough for things to get rocky. So we started to build that bridge. So what happened was um, from my time in activism and organizing, which is a whole life ago, which I'm not really in that world anymore, but I, I met a brother named Misa Garcia in that work. When we decided to have a conversation, I knew that me being a leader in the school and Mr. Thomas being leading the school, we needed somebody who would be a leader on this on the Latina, Latina, Latino side, so that the conversation could be had well and so that the message would be the same across it. So we wind up bringing him to the school for that conversation 
which then in turn, Mr. Jamal wound up hiring Mr. Garcia to work at the school to really double down on not just making the town hall one day. Like it was kids who need parents, kids who need somebody to help them. English is their first language besides just the teacher. The teacher needs extra support. So mm-hmm. what happened was, was that um, Mr. Garcia and I met because I was performing at a rally and it was it was a beautiful scenario and situation. And so we working together, we were talking and um, close the door, buddy. Kids just came in from outside. It's all good. So Mr. Garcia loved music and he was an artist in his own right. Mr. Garcia, Mr. Thomas and I, I started working together. And yeah. as we started working together, he saw what work we were doing and what we had going on. And he, he you know, we gelled. And so I said, man, listen, start bringing those kids. Some of them were coming, but I said, man, start bringing all the kids you got. Bring them to Iran. We're going to make songs together. We're going to make y'all make some songs. We make some songs. We're going to do this the right way. We're going to use hip hop as the joining force to dead all of the confusion. Mm. And that is how Expressa was born because he coined it, Expressa. He turned it. He you know, um, took the format that we already had with Iram and put that into play. So that's how we wound up having Expressa. And then the beautiful people over at Lakeland decided that could be its own standalone class. We fixed the curriculum up and put it together. Um, I'm gonna send you a song or two and a music video that we shot um, called um, Cosa Buena, Cosa Malice. Good things, bad things. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, like I mentioned before, when I was doing research, uh, I saw that y'all had put out the like the Greatest Hits Volume 1 for Media Rhythm Institute. I was listening to some of those tracks, and then I was listening, or I was watching some of the um, like the mini documentaries that had been produced through uh, Channel Me Media. Just listening to all of this, it really sounds like you guys have really found your lane and are able to be so successful in this medium and the fact that the Expressa curriculum was created as a way to bridge the gap and frankly to cut through the tension that the black and brown community have because we I mean at the end of the day you know in a lot of situations we get treated the same but if you spend enough time in those communities, you will see that there's still that, uh, there's like that tension and there can be that hatred. So I think it's really amazing that y'all were able to put something together where parties on both sides were able to put aside their differences or whatever beefs they may have had and then creatively express themselves without anybody having to get hurt or anybody feeling disrespected or anything like that. So I, I truly have to commend you for that. That's, that's so amazing. Well, we appreciate it, but it was, it was all in the, you know, the work. I credit uh, Principal Jamal a lot for providing fertile ground, you know, and giving us the opportunity to plant seeds and then mm-hmm. to actually give us utensils and water to make that grow. And I don't want to take too much credit for that because anybody in our position would do just that, what was done. It takes more effort from the people on the behalf of the community to 
actually be involved and do the right thing. And then it takes a lot from the people who are in most of the control of the situation, like a principal of a school, like a person who decides what programs are going to be in the building to really allow the opportunity for the people who want to come into your community and want to come in, not just come in because I actually lived in Lakeland for, you know, Mm -hmm. five or six years you know at the same time and my wife she grew up and lived in Lakeland most of her life all of my kids were you know did most of their years and most of their schooling at Lakeland from pre-k all the way to eighth grade so not just come not come into the community because we were from the community right but to come into the school and do the right thing so it was definitely a, a all-around effort so we hit on everything. I want to start wrapping up. But before I do, I see that we have uh, a, another guest on, on the camera. I want to talk to him for a little bit. What's your name, buddy? Good luck, man. You want to talk to me? <laughs> His name is, uh, is Dever Jr., but he goes by Rocco. Oh, okay, okay. Well, nice to meet you, Rocco. Oh, okay. What's what you say? Rocco's number there you go. There you go. Well, nice to meet you, Rocco Sean Murray. Um, let's start wrapping up here. What's coming up next for you and uh, MRI? Well, yeah, man. Um, you just mentioned that we dropped the greatest hits, man. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I don't know if I said was that Jimmy and I both had 10 years already in teaching before we started. So MRI coming out in 2017 really was a culmination of all that work that we had done. So we hit the ground running beautifully. And um, over all of those last five, five years of us working together, we made some beautiful music. We've made some great documentaries. And it's time for us to start putting that out for consumption because we have parents and people all the time come up to us and was like, I wanna still be listening to this. Where can I find it? And you know, we printed CDs for every song that we've ever made, but that stuff falls to the wayside. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be on title for as long as title is up. It'll be on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere where people listen to music, it'll be up there for as mm -hmm. long as it can be. And so we decided that it was time to start giving the kids their flowers for what they had done. And so we got that album out. Please, if you get an opportunity, go on our social media, find our link tree, or just search MRI Greatest Hits Volume 1, any platform, any digital streaming service, and support those efforts. Um, we have a class right now for our spring class where Lakeland has created an opportunity for a few available slots for students who are not in Lakeland to be able to come to the class. So please, young people, come to our website and fill in to be in our virtual class. You know, you can learn these things for free. One of the reasons why we're here talking to you today is because young people need to know that they have a free opportunity to come and be a part of this. Yep. You know, and so for any of you people out there watching, if you got a niece, a nephew, a daughter, if you yourself are a student, come and be a part of MRI and see what the hype is about and see, you know, listen to the music first, go on our YouTube, watch our videos, watch what has been produced, and then come and do your own thing and make it on Greatest Hits Volume 2. You never know. <laughs> you know, we got 
hundreds of songs. And so we're going to keep pumping out these greatest hits volumes as much as possible so that we can, you know, put together as many different um, variations of songs as possible. But um, that's really, you know, what's next for us is to continue putting all of the projects we have out for consumption and to grow our base of people. And we really want people in Baltimore who are not connected now to get familiar and get connected. Absolutely. And when I, uh, when I release the episode, I'll be sure to put a link to, um, I think I listened to it on Bandcamp and I like to link Bandcamp because that is the easiest and I feel like the most direct way for artists to uh, to make money off of stuff. So, and I've, I've, I've used Bandcamp since I was in like college, you know, I, I went to college in like 2007, 2008. So um, I'll definitely link the Bandcamp because I want to do anything that I can to uh, support and help spread that awareness. How can people get in touch if they want to connect with you or they want to learn more and get involved with MRI? Absolutely. Uh, people can always check out our website, www.mriprograms.org. Um, if you would like to be on our social media, you can check our social media out at MRI Programs. Um, we um, are very easily Googleable. Just type in Media Rhythm Institute to find out any information that you would like to about us. And please support the Bandcamp. Um, buy the album for $9 and get it so that you can download it and have it to yourself on your computer or wherever you know you like to keep your personal music. And then also on our website, you can make a um, a, a tax write-offable deduction. A, you know, um, you can make a donation to us that will make sure you get the information that you need to be able to, um, you know, take care of all of your personal finances with that. So we appreciate any help. We always love anybody to give their time. Um, you know, even yourself, you know, you just conducted a great interview. And so we'd love for you to talk to our kids or maybe come through and do a class one day, anything like that, you know, um, we appreciate all in-kind donations of time or anything that you have. So. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So thank you again so much for the opportunity to interview you. I feel like I've just been on this great journey and to learn more about MRI and to learn what you and Jimmy and the whole team are doing for the community. And uh, of course, the chance to meet Mr. Rocco right here. Um, is there anything else you want to want to go over before we get on out of here? <laughs> uh, no worries. No worries. And what about you, Mr. Mr. Big Dev Rock? Man, I just uh, like to say, man, that um, I'm definitely rocking with uh, what you doing, Mr. Jason, and uh, Local Color Podcast was, was definitely fire. And uh, I appreciate um, sitting here with you. You took me back down memory lane, and sometimes <laughs> you need these opportunities to remember your why and strengthen up and get ready for the, the next phase. I call it looking back down the hill you definitely helped me to accomplish this today. So um, the MRI family sends their love and respect to you. We appreciate you. We thank you for the opportunity. Mm -hmm.